For the last few years, Stats and Stories has brought you interviews with researchers focused on the ins and outs of the 2020 census. We've talked with former director of the U.S. Census Bureau, John Thompson, about what it takes to pull the census off, as well as the organizers of News Counts, a project designed to improve reporting on the U.S. Census. Reporting on the census is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me in the studio is regular panelist John Baylor, chair of Miami Statistics Department, also Richard Campbell, former chair of Media, Journalism and Film. Our guest today is NPR's Hansi Lo Wong. Wong, quote, reports on the people, power and money behind the 2020 census, end quote. And in 2019, he won the ASA's Excellence in Statistical Reporting Award for his coverage of the census and the debate around the possible inclusion of a citizenship question. Hansi, thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm just going to start us off asking, how did the census become your beat? I was assigned to cover the changing demographics of the U.S. I'm a reporter on NPR's national desk. And I knew from past reporting that I did when I was on NPR's Code Switch team, which covers race and ethnicity and culture, that the census forms a lot of our understanding of what demographics uh, are and what they look like in the United States. And I knew uh, right around the time when I was assigned uh, demographics at the national desk that there are a lot of big decisions about to be made about the 2020 census in the years before 2020. So I looked into some of those decisions and went down this rabbit hole. So what kind of demographic changes have you have you seen that, that might surprise people that are listening to this podcast? I'm not sure what would be surprising to your audience, but uh, certainly I would say for me what's been uh, really a kind of a main storyline that I've been tracking is, you know, the country is becoming more racially, ethnically diverse. And uh, how does that, what does that look like uh, when you go down to the local level uh, where, you know, big national trends may not be happening uh, at the same rate, at the same pace, and in the same way and when you look at community to community. And so that's uh, one major trend that I've been looking at. So your your background uh, was in political science, and covering the census beat, you have to deal with a lot of data and statistics. Did you have to do anything in particular to prepare for that as a reporter? And if so, what what kinds of things did you do to kind of get up to speed? It's been a lot of reading of census uh, operational plans of interviewing uh, former and current Census Bureau officials to wrap my head around all the different acronyms and all the different operations involved in carrying out a census. But you're right, I have to confess, I have never have taken a statistics class. I feel uh, a little underqualified to be on this pod- uh, podcast because of that. Also underqualified to have been awarded um, that great honor from the American Statistical Association. I also made that confession during, uh, <laughs> uh, during that conference where I received that award. But it's been a big learning curve for me to figure out um, how all the, all the thinking, all the uh, a lot of academic work and um, calculations involved in carrying out the census, and, and ultimately my job is to understand it to a point where I can hopefully simplify it in a way to a more general audience. Because I think the you know ultimately the census is something that uh, may sound very bureaucratic, may sound super 
uh, nerdy and wonky, but at the end of the day, it affects every aspect of our daily lives as people living in the United States. You know, I was I think about the census when when people first hear about it, they think how hard it could it be to count how many people are are there in, yes. the, in the United States. And, and there's so much work that the census does in trying to enumerate households or try to get listings and other other parts of the frame for defining this this big problem. How, how do you try to tell a story where where people's expectation might be that this is this should be a really simple task, but ends up being this Herculean effort every 10 years? Well, I just came back from a reporting trip to Tuxuk Bay, Alaska. It is on the southwestern coast of the state, and it is a small remote fishing village that most people probably haven't heard about, but it is one of the many communities in the country that the Census Bureau is required by the Constitution to get an accurate and complete population count this year of. And it's just telling that story of who's living here and and what are their what are the living conditions there how it is so hard to get around uh, in not just Tuxuk Bay but around the region because uh, there is no road system connecting village to village uh, in that part of Alaska and so folks uh, are living a mainly subsistence lifestyle and it requires a lot of planning, a lot of consultation between the Census Bureau and local officials to figure out what is the best way to make sure there's an accurate count, to make sure that when the Census Bureau sends out sends out its workers, that families are around, that households, uh, someone is there to answer the door, to answer the Census Bureau workers' questions in order to collect the data that is needed. So it's starting um, at the very personal level of just telling a story about one community and what their daily life is like and how the Census Bureau has to figure out how to mesh in with that in order to make sure there's an accurate count. And then beyond that, it's thinking about, yes, these are ultimately uh, you know, behind the doors of the Census Bureau. It's uh, a lot of statisticians, it's demographers thinking about the best way to you know, order uh, a survey and should the question be asked in this way and should we change that word and tweak that word. But all these little small technical decisions ultimately uh, produce information that affect how well, an, estimated, an estimated more than $1.5 trillion a year in federal funding, how that is distributed to local communities, mainly for Medicare, for Medicaid, for schools, for roads, and how political representation how that political power is divided up amongst the states, amongst communities. This is how we figure out how many congressional seats, how many electoral college votes each state gets, as well as how political boundaries are redrawn after each census that set up the voting districts that have that, that are the basic building block of our elections for each decade. And so it's constantly reminding our audiences, our readers, our listeners, that these are the stakes. This is why we are focused on all these different aspects of the census, because all these small technical decisions, this bureaucratic process, this giant government operation, ultimately produces information that policymakers, business leaders, researchers rely on in order to make decisions for the next decade. And then this follows up on your Alaska trip and your reporting there, these hard-to-count groups, and there's a lot of, we know from other folks we've had on here talking about the census, the challenge of getting to everybody. 
Can you kind of broaden that out a little bit and talk about some of those challenges? Well, the Census Bureau is under a constitutional mandate to count every person living in the country. But the fact is, ever since the very first U.S. Census back in 1790, it's never been a perfect count. And in recent decades, the Census Bureau's own research has shown that the groups that are undercounted historically are often communities of color, immigrant communities, renters, young children under the age of five. There are lots of different reasons why the Census Bureau has such a hard time getting an accurate count of these specific groups. And uh, one major challenge is a lot of government distrust, a lot of distrust from communities that historically have had bad relationships with the federal government and how the federal government has gone about trying to collect information and use information about groups. Um, you know, one part of American history that often gets brought up when we're talking about the census is during World War II, when under the Second War Powers Act, protections that uh, kept census information confidential and from being used for statistical purposes only, those were lifted during World War II in order to help the federal government locate people of Japanese descent living along the West Coast. And those numbers, um, which are uh, demographic numbers, uh, anonymized, uh, just showing where there, are, there were higher concentrations of people of Japanese descent, and those numbers were used to help the federal government locate families that ultimately were removed forcibly from their homes and put into incarceration camps during World War II um, because the federal government wrongfully uh, wanted to imprison people they thought would have ties to the Japanese government. Uh, these included U.S. citizens of Japanese descent. Uh, the federal government has apologized for that, including the Census Bureau, for using the Census Bureau data in that way. But just that one example has reverberated through the decades and also brings back a lot of questions about this current administration, a lot of concern that the Trump administration's push for the now-blocked citizenship question was a way, one concern, uh, to uh, help the federal government locate people who are living in the country without authorization. Even though this was a question that did not explicitly ask about a person's immigration status, it only asked about a person's U.S. citizenship status, whether they were naturalized or born in the United States or born to parents of U.S. citizenship, there was still a lot of fear that this data could be misused, uh, even a data that just shows who is not a U.S. citizen living in the country could be misused by the federal government in a way that could harm people, despite there being federal laws that protect Census Bureau data that identifies individuals from being released until 72 years after that information is collected. The question is, will the public trust the government, the federal government, this current Trump administration, to uphold those laws uh, after the information is collected. That's a big question that I'm tracking over the next few months. So distrust is one big element to it. Another big element is it's been a major learning process for the federal government to figure out what is the best way to reach different groups across the country. We live in such a diverse country. There's no one size fits all. Just going back to Alaska, for example, you know, most households are being asked to participate in the census around mid-March, April. Census day is April 1st. It's just a reference day. But most census activity happens around March and April. Why does the census start in Alaska, remote Alaska, all the way as early as January? The reason for that is because the Census Bureau learned that in order to reach 
these communities in remote Alaska, which are often subsistence communities that carry out hunting and fishing during the warmer months, that the best way to reach them is when the ground is still frozen, when folks are still living in their communities, they aren't out fishing and, and hunting. And also when the ground is still frozen, you can still use snow machines and four-wheelers and also take a plane to v visit these villages. By the time it gets warmer, by the time around Census Day, it's going to be much harder to send out census workers to go village to village to make sure every person is counted. So it's been a major challenge for the Census Bureau to have a pulse on how uh, people are living in the country and how that is changing decade to decade and how it needs to keep up with uh, different concerns and different lifestyles. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking to NPR's Hansi Le Wong about reporting on the 2020 census. Hansi, I want to go back to that story uh, in Alaska. I was just looking at that before we came in, and I just, it was a beautiful story. The the photos are, are really rich, and really between that and your, your story really sort of helps transport I think the viewer and the listener to that space. How do you decide when you're thinking about how to sort of, I, I don't like to use the word humanize, but when you're thinking about how to humanize the story of the census, how do you decide what communities you're going to visit, um, what stories you're going to tell in the midst of this sea of data you have to pull from? Thank you very much for, for reading that story. And I just want to mention that those, those beautiful photographs were made by NPR photographer, Claire Harbage. It's, I think, the same process for, for how we approach all of our reporting, which is um, is to, to look at where the story is. You know, for Alaska, that's where the census officially starts. Um, and so that, that was a no-brainer. You go where it officially starts. Um, but beyond that, uh, we're, we're looking also at historical trends of which, where are the communities, wh which are the communities that historically have been undercounted and where there should be uh, extra focus and, and, and better understanding of what's going on, uh, of what happened uh, previously uh, with past censuses and, and what isn't happening, what could be happening in 2020. And it's uh, making sure we also get a wide range of voices from around the country. Uh, a lot of the groups that have historically been undercounted represent some of the most diverse parts of our country, uh, including immigrants, communities of color. And so it's finding, um, it's finding the stories uh, within those communities and, and the people within those communities uh, who can help best illuminate what's going on. So how did you go from your undergraduate study to NPR? Can you talk a little bit about that, that path from, from where you started as an undergraduate and, and how you ended up at, you know, deep, in, deep within NPR's work in the census? Well, I applied for uh, what's known as the Croc Fellowship. It's uh, basically a, a one-year-long training program for recent graduates, and I applied for it the first time, and, and I didn't get it, got rejected. And uh, I applied again, and uh, that second time around, that's when I got my foot in the door at NPR, NPR's headquarters in Washington, D.C., and uh, I, I've been uh, lucky enough uh, to, to stick around. They haven't kicked me out yet uh, for, for uh, almost a decade this August, and I've had lots of different roles um, currently, the census reporter, and it's been 
a journey that really uh, you know started I think in college even though I, I majored officially in political science and uh, minored in, in history and Asian studies but uh, really if you really <laughs> were with me during my college years people would say I really majored in a program called War News Radio which was a, a weekly student-run podcast uh, during um, when wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were still um, very much in the news, and we were trying to report on what daily life was like uh, for folks living in Iraq and Afghanistan, all the way from our college campus right outside of Philadelphia. And uh, that's where I learned all about radio reporting and, and podcasting, and uh, first learned about NPR. Didn't grow up listening to NPR, uh, didn't know what it was before college, and my parents had no idea what it was, but uh, here I am. Hansi, I want to ask you a question about interviewing these communities. So you mentioned that um, census workers have a bit of an obstacle when they're working with um, underrepresented communities because of, of sort of historic distrust. And, and Richard and I both teach journalism students and have both been journalists and have also been in that space where, um, you know, you're trying to interview people who are distrustful of outsiders and or authorities, which can be the same thing. How, as a journalist, do you navigate that um, when you are trying to tell these stories um, about these communities? I think it, you first start with honesty, and, and that begins with who I am and, and what I'm doing. Um, oftentimes, because I'm, I'm so focused on the census, sometimes people mistake me for being a Census Bureau worker. And I have to be very clear, I'm, I'm not from the Census Bureau. I do not work for the federal government. I work for NPR, a news organization. I'm a journalist. I'm here to cover, report on the census and how it's being carried out and how people are reacting to it. And it's being very clear of what I see my role is, which is to, you know, lots of different things I'm trying to do. One is is to hold the government accountable, hold the Census Bureau accountable to all its different plans, all its different decisions. Um, how does that match up with what's happening on the ground in different communities? And is it carrying out what it says it's carrying out? And also trying to get a pulse of how people are reacting to its different decisions, its different ad campaigns, uh, its different strategies to reach people, and to ultimately to, to understand by, by listening listening to people from, uh, listening to their personal experiences with working for the Census Bureau or having a Census Bureau visit their home for past counts, uh, or, or to listen to their concerns about how Census Bureau data can be misused by the federal government and why, where that concern is coming from. When you do these interviews, do you feel like you have to educate some of your interview subjects on the census because of the sort of caution that they might have by being approached by the government and the suspicions they might have? That seems to be heightened these days, more than it was maybe in 2010. Do you feel like that's part of what you do? You, you may be sort of a doubly a villain you're from the news and you're trying to report on the on the census so so can you talk about a little bit about uh not just approaching people with honesty because i think that's a really good tip for journalists just sort of be open but you feel like you have to do some educating as well i do i mean the census is for whatever reason a very specialized topic even though it's mentioned in the constitution before any reference to voting, before any reference to a president, most people living in the United States 
don't know what the census is, don't know what the purpose of it is. And so a lot of my reporting and interactions with people, even during my interviews, ends up in some form or another having to be some kind of civics lesson of just some part of this aspect of the census that because I've been focusing on it, focusing on it full time for uh, close to three years now, that uh, I've, uh, this is what I kind of eat, sleep, and breathe every day. But for most people, they don't think about it until once a decade. And so, um, yes, it ends up having to be some type of explainer, not just to our audiences, but people I interview. And some of that has to do with a lot of misinformation and some disinformation out there, especially in reaction and as part of the uh, debate and, and legal maelstrom uh, over the now blocked citizenship question. So I, I'm going to flip one of the questions that was recently asked and ask you, what advice do you have for, for statisticians? that want to that want to try to tell the stories and report on the work that they've done or to to help present work that's in research to the general public what what kind of things can can statisticians learn to do better well someone with having never taken a stats class i feel like i don't i don't have uh, much ground to stand on to give advice but i would say what i always try to keep in mind is you know what i how i've defined my beat which is i don't just cover the 2020 census i'm covering the people power and money behind the 2020 census. And, and people is first, because ultimately this is about people, about the people living in the United States. And it's constantly reminding myself that it's really easy to get in the weeds when we're talking about survey methodology, when we're talking about differential privacy, when we're talking about a lot of different statistical methods behind the census. But it's reminding myself that ultimately this is is connected to people's lives and to not lose sight of that and and to think about how can I break down what are very technical concepts into something that just someone walking down the street can understand because it is imperative for them to understand how this works in order for them to have a true understanding of how so many different systems in our country work um, from federal funding to political representation the stakes are incredibly high when we're talking about the census. So for any person living in the country not to have a basic understanding of what's at stake, that I think is what I'm trying to avoid. That's that's my goal, to make sure everyone is informed. And once they get that letter coming from the Census Bureau, that they know what, what we're really talking about here. Hansi, I don't know if you kind of keep track of like the local and regional journalism that's going on in terms of covering the census. I'm imagining not much is being done at kind of a more local level, but if you could give some tips or ideas about what local or regional reporters should, should be looking for, the kinds of stories that they should be telling about the census. Maybe you could give us a couple of ideas on on what those stories should be. What 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 should they be looking for um, at a regional newspaper, say like the Cincinnati Enquirer, the Dayton Daily News, where which are the the major papers in our area? Well, as as far as I can tell, anecdotally, I, I have a lot of competition at the local and regional level in terms of uh, other census reporters. I have not done accounts, so I, I can't tell you the statistics. Um, but but I would say uh, you know a lot of reporters are taking 
um, the best approach, which is localizing a national story. This is a national story with a lot of local, major local, regional implications. And it's it's thinking through for readers, for listeners, for viewers, exactly how uh, the census can impact you know one neighborhood or one aspect of their community or one federal program that's affected by census data. And I think uh, by, by highlighting those very specific examples, it helps bring home to um, audiences exactly how can it, it can affect their communities. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Hansi, thank you so much for being here today. You're very welcome. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.